Yes, sir. Let's do it. Uh, well, Zane, man, welcome to the base space. We're really, really excited to have you on. Um, I'm Mewtwo, obviously the founder of the base space, and you got my co-hosts, Super High and Chase. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Oh yeah. Uh, I guess like before we dive into Vesperfy, curious, uh, Zane, like how'd you how'd you get started in crypto? Like, what was your first experience? Sure. Yeah. Um, I found out about Bitcoin uh, in 2013. I was 15 at the time. Um, I was playing Minecraft and someone showed me this Minecraft Bitcoin casino. And my first reaction was, holy shit, I can gamble online and no one asks how old I am. This is the coolest thing ever. And it was kind of all over for me after that. Um, but I, you know, I, I never really got off of it um since i found out about bitcoin in 2013 and i um i did freelance writing journalism when i was in high school and, and when i started college and then i got more into um pr marketing type roles um and then i learned how to code and i got into more technical roles and um about a year ago i went on full time with block inc which is the parent company of Vesper Finance, as well as Metronome and a few other branches. Um, I have my own things I'm doing. I have my own project. And I pretty much, at this point in time, just do crypto 24-7. Oh, that's dope. I, I like how you got started with Minecraft. That's, that's a little <laughs> base. I'm sure a lot of us uh, are really big fans of the game, especially my, myself. Um, have, have you always been in charge of strategy at Vesper or like did you um, start sort of rank up to that that position um so it's kind of like everyone does a little bit of everything uh you know like we we have titles because we have to but so initially I I came on to block as a um as a content writer a, a technical writer um and then you know as we need a million different things done um, given my existing skill set my existing understanding of blockchain DeFi, smart contracts all that stuff um, i've been able to take on more nuanced roles in the project yeah i feel like while it's a new project and up and coming i feel like you gotta be pretty nimble and wear a lot of different hats uh how, how big is mm -hmm. your team um that's a good question we are hiring so fast we've got to have like just in the vesper team uh we've got to be at probably rounding out around 20 right now um the the larger block company has got to be at at least 40 or 50 employees at this point we've been hiring pretty much as much as we can over the past several months yeah that's that's awesome i know we have a lot of people a lot of listeners that are looking to get into crypto I uh, don't want to veer too far off track, but do you like have any advice for people looking to get into into the space? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, so I, you know, like I said, I started when I was 15. I didn't have any dollars to my name. I, I just kind of found ways to um, spend my time learning and doing like referrals and micro work and all that stuff. And I would definitely say that anyone who's new to crypto, uh, looking to get deeper into crypto, just... Um, you know, everyone's got a skill set, and for the most part, all projects need a lot of help. Find a project you're really interested in. Find a community you can really um, jive with, and you know, just uh, volunteer your your time and energy 
Um, and I think oftentimes I think that pays off very well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, honestly, that's a really big theme that we uh, have seen on the base space from other projects is volunteering and getting involved in that way. And uh, people then eventually becoming full-time employees or contractors for those projects. So that's, that's really, really cool and, and very based. And I know super is super is leaning to code as well. So he's on, he's on his journey. Awesome. That's the way to do it. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like at a very high level for folks listening on the call, um, you know, what is Vesperify, um, the, the protocol? And also, could you kind of dive into the VSP token at a very high level, even for people that don't even understand crypto or are new to the space? Sure. Um, Vesper is a DeFi yield aggregator. What that means is you deposit tokens um, into the Vesper smart contracts. Uh, those tokens get sent out into the Etherverse uh, where they can be the most useful, where they can earn the most yield. And then um, our contracts handle everything in terms of realizing that yield, compounding it, um, and recording that for the depositors. It's all non-custodial, meaning that we can't take your funds. Um, you can, you can deposit and withdraw any amount whenever you like. Um, and yeah, we, we have essentially to go a little bit lower. We have a whole bunch of different strategies and new strategies being coded. Um, and, and we kind of, um, rebalance the pools based on where the best strategy is at the time. And so the VSP token is, um, the governance ownership token over the ecosystem, uh, our, our, our pools generate revenue from, we take a cut of the, um, the yield that is generated and we also charge a small withdrawal fee and that revenue buys back VSP and delivers it to, um, existing holders. So it's kind of like an, like an on-chain buyback mechanism. So if you hold VSP, you can share the revenue. Um, and it's also the governance token over the ecosystem. So you can, you can vote, um, on, on changes to the platform, upgrades, new pools, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, could you kind of dive into more like the governance component of the token? Um, so, and also like do holders with the majority of the VSP token get like a more weighted vote within the governance? Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's it's weight based voting. So, um, we have essentially we have another pool. Um, all our all of our pools have a V ticker in front of it. So we have a VVSP pool, and that's our governance pool. So if you deposit your VSP, you get to share um, that revenue through those buybacks, and then you use that VVSP um, as your voting weight. And uh, we're like many projects, we are kind of transitioning it into a, a full DAO model, meaning where independent VSP holders own everything about the platform. Um, and so over time, those votes and the, I would say the, the frequency and the weight of those votes will increase to the point where token holders are the ones that are managing all the pools. They're the ones that are introducing new strategies and all that good stuff. Um, where we're at right now is we kind of have a a uh, federation of sorts with uh, team and elevated community members that own 
that have multi-sig ownership, meaning that they have admin keys on on like treasury wallets and that kind of stuff. Um, and then some some stuff is reserved for the VSP holders, like like voting to um, change the revenue model, for example. Got it. And like, say like I'm like an average community member within uh, Vesper. Is there a way for me to like elevate a proposal or submit a proposal or like, how's the, how's the average community member get more involved mm-hmm. in the project? Yeah. So we, uh, we do a lot of our, um, a lot of our like development or work happens in the public discord. And so if you're a token holder, if you're a community member that you, you have some idea or you want to elevate some proposal, um, you do it in, you do it in discord. And so the, the process kind of is we have governance channels in discord. Um, you can talk through a proposal there and then the proposal can get drafted, um, published to GitHub and then put into a vote and then, and then we vote on it. Got it. No, that that's, uh, that's really based. Yeah. That's what we've heard like a lot of around, uh, a lot of newer projects. You really need to be involved in the discord and, and participate mm-hmm. there i guess like once once in terms of into a more formal process do you envision it being um like a submission form or, or how, do, how do you envision that process evolving yeah so we use um we use snapshot page which is uh, a service for um offline token weighted voting and in snapshot we can set it up where anyone who holds x amount of tokens can pass a proposal outright or they can uh introduce a proposal rather so the it 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 becomes more of an art than a science in the sense where it's like uh you know there's certain like conversations you should have before you before you propose something and if you don't follow those steps that the community kind of agrees upon it's unlikely that you're proposal will get traction um, but ultimately it will be kind of an autonomous experience got it um yeah that sounds that sounds really, really cool i mean these these DAOs are really really exciting and um you know we've seen a lot of success with them uh from other from other projects and i think it's a great way to keep the investors and the community involved so really, really excited that you guys are are building that out um we have a lot of different link marines um, that are in the chat. Curious, I see that. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty pretty big link community uh, that, that follows the base space. I'm curious if you could elaborate a little bit more on like your partnership with Chainlink and like how that fits into Vesperify. Sure. So some of uh, some of the Vesper uh, products, smart contracts, what have you um rely on price information um for example if you are um if we are routing through uh maker and we take out a loan through maker uh, we need to make sure that the loan stays above water and that we are able to rebalance the loan and um make sure that everyone's funds stay whole and so so for some some of the uh, different backend under the hood interactions, uh, we have to get um, price data. And so that's where Chainlink comes into play. Beyond that, we have, um, we have a Chainlink pool. So you can deposit your link and earn link plus VSP yield. Um, 
And yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. I'm curious from like a, uh, you know, as this moves to a more DAO structure, um, do you think there will be kind of this future where the DAO will need to allocate acquiring Chainlink to pay for that price feed data? Or is, do I have like kind of that relationship a little confused on how that would work? Um, I, I don't think I know enough about Chainlink to answer that question. I, I, I anticipate there will be some costs involved. Um, if we do need to hold Chainlink or if we do need to buy Chainlink, um, we are getting chain link revenue. We are getting link revenue as we earn yield, and I'm sure it could come from that. Yeah. Do you do you, do you think chain link as well would help with like um, resistance against fraud um, within the the Vesper ecosystem? Um, fraud in what sense? Like like uh, give me a scenario where where there could be fraud. Uh, that's not putting you on the spot. <laughs> maybe, maybe in terms of like uh, price manipulation, um, mani- manipulation of data feeds, mm-hmm. um, things of that nature. Yeah. So you know there have been some um, there have been some DeFi attacks exploits where um, the attackers use flash loans to disrupt the price of a of a market, and then they're able to perform liquidations and that kind of stuff. Um, where we're using Chainlink now, if Vesper was getting targeted by that type of attack, um, which I think would be very hard to do because we're taking out loans against against wrapped Bitcoin and ETH and Link, um, which is a pretty strong asset to disrupt. But if we were relying on a on a smaller DEX that um, could be susceptible to the attack, as I understand, um, the price feeds can can help to um mitigate that vulnerability hey so um real fast using the the value generated from the buybacks or or from the products to buy back vsp off the market uh what percentage Mm -hmm. does this occur at and uh how often do you guys buy back uh it's nine right now it's 95 percent of all revenue and it happens just about daily we are um, undergoing discussion with our community about how to um, upgrade the model. Right now, it's a simple ninety-five percent to VVSP buybacks or to VSP buybacks, five percent to the strategy developer that made the strategy that earned the revenue. Um, we're talking about having a uh, a more robust revenue model where we have kind of like different buckets for different things, so we could have like. Some revenue can spill into a deployer account for um, deploying new contracts. And when that, that bucket or that wallet's filled, then it'll go back into the other flows. And we have, we have those kind of ideas that we're working through with the community right now. Hey, Jeff, could you, uh, could you expand a little bit on what buybacks are and just kind of like from a conceptual perspective, like what that does for the, uh, the Vesper ecosystem and for holders? Sure. Sure. So Vesper is uh, primarily traded on um, AMM decentralized exchanges and AMM being an automated market maker, an example of that being Uniswap or SushiSwap. And so everything in the Vesper ecosystem is on chain. So when you when you deposit um, your assets into, let's say, the wrapped Bitcoin uh, pool, 
your wrapped Bitcoin goes out and it earns more wrapped Bitcoin. And if you withdraw it, you get your wrapped Bitcoin back. We take a little haircut um, off of the yield that your coin earns. And also we take a small withdrawal fee. And so essentially the way the buybacks work are we pull these fees into a buyback account and we have some on-chain monetary policy excuse me, regarding um, like how much the buyback is each day, depending on how much revenue has come in over the past X days. And so we take, uh, or the contract takes some amount of the, the pooled recent fees and it sends it over to Uniswap or SushiSwap, wherever the price is better. And it, it buys back VSP. And then it delivers that VSP to the, the token holders that deposited their VSP into our VVSP governance pool. Gotcha. And so actually going off that, I had a question around the fee. So I noticed that, uh, so there's a 0.6% fee on withdrawals mm -hmm. and yep. then there's a 15% uh, platform fee on the yield. Uh, could you kind of like touch on these fees, like how they were decided? Um, and it just kind of like went into like how that revenue will be used for. Sure. So um, we initially modeled our fees based on what um, traditional uh, TradFi fees look like. And most funds take a 20% performance fee and a 2% management fee. Um, when we put our, when we launched Vesper in its, or when we had our pre-launch mainnet Vesper beta, um, initially we had a, we were targeting 1.5% withdrawal fees and 15% performance fees. Uh, the benchmark being that's, that's, it's a, it's a premium product. It's still cheaper than TradFi. Uh, we noticed that people didn't like how high that, that 15, that 1.5% withdrawal fee was. Um, and we also noticed how much of our fees were from withdrawals versus revenue generated. And so we decreased the fee from 1.5% to 0.6% to kind of uh, better balance out the revenue between yield and withdrawals. And we also looked at, um, we looked at other uh, competitors, other yield aggregators. So we're, uh, we're targeting a lower fee than, than Yearn. We're, um, some of the protocols don't have withdrawal fees, but they have much higher performance fees. And so I, I think holistically, we are um, pretty consistently on the low end in terms of the fees we charge our users. Gotcha. And I think this also, this kind of incentivizes uh, people that are in, engaging into the grow pool to stay there for a little bit longer time. That way you have that mm -hmm. like, yep. um, consistent liquidity, if you will. Yep, that was, that was exactly our idea. We had a, a lot of internal discussions about... Um, what that what that fee on your principal should look like should it be a deposit fee should it be a withdrawal fee should it be a management fee uh we settled on a withdrawal fee because um we don't want to hit people when they come in we want to hit people when they come out and we want to encourage them to stay in as long as you know as long as they feel comfortable if you don't if you never withdraw you never pay a withdrawal fee which of course you do need to withdraw to you know realize your gains but yeah the idea was exactly that to incentivize uh long-term uh, depositors. Yeah. Is that, was that kind of the line of thinking as well? Um, cause I, I think one thing that I found pretty interesting was that when you guys provide, provide the rewards, 
um, like the LM rewards, it's on a 12 month basis. Is that right? Yes. So we had, um, we distributed Vesper was, um, in having, like we talked about earlier and having uh, decentralized governance in trying to, um, and spending a lot of time in trying to be a true community ran platform. Um, one of our challenges was how do we make sure the token is um, properly distributed in a in a fair decentralized manner? And so um, a majority of our supply is distributed to people who use the product for people who provide liquidity. Um, and it's it's over a, it's over a, a 12 month um, kind of distribution cycle, which most of the rewards were distributed right in the first few months. And now that we're kind of more mature, they're tapering off. Gotcha. And is that, is that the norm or, you know, because as, uh, more pairs can grow on the pools, I can see, um, maybe some pools be very popular for like a short spurt, Mm -hmm. but kind of die off pretty quick. So is that, um, would that kind of affect the mechanics if, you know, a certain pair had a 12 month, uh, reward infrastructure, like a reward incentivization program, um, but really kind of like dies off after say like two or three mm-hmm. months of, of high activity. Yeah, it's definitely not, uh, it's not perfect. It was our best guess, uh, pre-launch. Um, we are in part of our ongoing revenue V2 discussion. We're also looking into how we can, um, more effectively allocate rewards in the sense that, yeah, if a pool dies off, um, we shouldn't keep giving the same amount of rewards to it versus a pool that has is earning a lot more yield and has a lot more deposits. And so uh, one thing that we're looking at is doing something more like um, like SushiSwap with their onsen, where it's, it's um, the rewards are weighted based on the TVL. Um, but that's all... Right now, it's it's on that twelve month period, um, and we're we're starting those conversations about uh, how we could upgrade the model, perhaps. Gotcha. Yeah, and then you know, of course, like on the flip side, that that would create like an arbitrage opportunity as well, right? You know, if, if there's not a lot of activity, and you could kind of get like the lion's share of it, um, you may have like an outsized return on the rewards themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some gamification involved, which also works to our benefit with using that withdrawal fee. Um, if people want to be more aggressive in hot pools and try to, you know, hit hit the the high reward when it's there, they can. Um, we get the other VSP holders get a little bit back because they're hopping between pools more and they're paying more withdrawal fees. Gotcha. So I know we've kind of been talking about grow pools um, at a high level. Um, mm. Could you touch on uh, Vesper Earn and kind of explain Definitely. what that is? Yeah. So, um, you know, so the idea of grow pools is, is your standard um, yield aggregator. You deposit whatever, you get more of it from yield. Um, Vesper Earn is a, is a different design behind these smart contracts where, you essentially quote unquote program your yield. The, the, the very, um, the highest abstraction of it is you deposit X and you earn Y. So you can, uh, I believe the first one we're going to do is you deposit ETH and you get, uh, you get die every day. So it's like a, like a daily DeFi yield income. 
And ultimately, you'll be able to kind of pick and choose what you want to deposit and what you want to get paid out in. So if you're a if you're a if you're a link marine, but you're stabled up, you could deposit USDC and you could um, be passively buying link every day. There's also some conversation about how that could be an exciting project or an exciting product for um, like smaller tokens where like you have like some community coin and um, let's say I'm really bullish on the small cap coin, but I already have a ton of it. I don't want to put all my money into it. However, I'll, I'll set my existing crypto aside and I'll, I'll dollar cost average into it by that yield buys the small community coin that I'm interested in. So there's, there's all kinds of different stuff we can do with, with Vesper earn that um, I don't think you really see in, in many other places. And that's definitely something we're really excited about. Yeah, so that I think you had mentioned. So that is single-sided uh, liquidity. Yeah, we none of our products are subject to impermanent loss. They're all single-asset deposits. Could you uh, could you touch on because I feel like that's um, to my knowledge, there's really only other one other DAP uh, that has that. Could you guys touch on kind of like how? you guys went through the process of, of creating that. I know that's probably an extremely very specific question, but um, it's oh, just yeah. like an interesting no, sure. uh, feature that not a lot of dApps currently have. Yeah. So when most people are, are farming yield, um, the way they're doing it is by providing liquidity to an AMM, an automated market maker, a, a sushi swap or a Uniswap pair. Um, the reason why that happens most of the time is because it's it's pretty um, it's a it's a pretty good system where a project can have a token they can incentivize people to provide liquidity and they can pay them to do that. Um, the downside to that is when you deposit when you provide that liquidity to farm that yield, you're not guaranteed to get out what you put in. If the price of one asset goes up or down, uh, it, the the ratio of pooled assets between the two change. So if you uh, if you have uh, if you're providing liquidity for Link and USDC on Uniswap and Link goes up 10x, what you're really doing is you're you're putting all these sell orders into place that people are buying into. So when you pull it out, you'll have a bunch of USDC, you won't have hardly any Link. Um, Vesper's strategies for earning yields um, do not uh, they do not deal with providing liquidity. We do um, we route assets through places like Compound and Ave, where um, where they do peer to peer lending. Um, we use uh, collateralized loans through Maker to get like a higher yielding asset. Um, our, we just launched an aggressive die pool that uses uh, Curve and and Yearn and. Um, all these different yield sources we're hitting are not are not uh, subject to that impermanent loss that you get if you're providing uh, both sides of a liquidity pair to like a Uniswap or a Sushi Swap. Gotcha. Um, I think that the last um, area that I wanted to touch on under kind of your products to go through is the Vesper stake. Um, which I know we, had, I think you had already kind of like really touched on that. Um, so say you wanted to provide liquidity, not necessarily like link or ETH, but you want to buy 
BSP on the market, you can in turn provide that liquidity for BSP and get the B VSP. If you if you deposit your VSP, you're getting you're getting you get you get your VVSP, which is like your tokenized share in the pool. And then the pool earns yield by getting those buybacks. Um, you can also provide liquidity to Uniswap and SushiSwap where we're doing those buybacks from. Uh, you earn VSP from doing that, but it is subject to that impermanent loss that we talked about. Um, Vesper stake is um, uh, the idea that in the same way that we manage how you can farm yield, um, we help manage how you can how you can stake into a project like um, like an ETH2 node or something like that. And that that's further down on the roadmap for what it's worth. Gotcha. And so what is, like, what's the current yield um, for that on staking VSP currently? Um, it's a little bit suppressed because bear markets have, or the recent bear, crab, whatever you want to call it, market has depressed... Um, open market yield, but let me pull it up. I think it's about 20% right now for VSP. And that's all from buybacks, a 22% uh, today. Hey Zane, I'm, I'm curious, are, is your platform mainly being used by retail investors right now? And do you have any interest from like institutions or businesses actually jumping in and uh, depositing money on, on investor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, to our knowledge right now, it's mostly retail. We do have a pretty, I think, I believe it might be a first of its kind partnership with, um, there is this fund called Blockforce Capital, who they right now are raising capital for a, uh, what they're calling a DeFi growth fund, which is a market basket of top DeFi assets. All of those assets route through Vesper. And so I believe this is the first of its kind um, fund working with a yield aggregator, at least to my knowledge. And so um, we will have institutional dollars going through Vesper as soon as August 1st, I believe is when the fund, um, when they like, like mark all their deposits and start deploying it. So they'll be, they'll be buying a little bit of VSP. I think they said 10% of the, of the fund is, is allocated towards VSP and then the other 90%, well, all 100%, but the rest of it will be like USDC, uh, wrapped Bitcoin, ETH. I believe Link is on there too. And all of those, um, all those assets will be deposited into Vesper, earning more yield for the client. That's really awesome. I don't know if, I don't know if you can talk about it, um, but I'm curious, like, what was that process like to get them on board? And what were kind of the main, the main questions that they had uh, if you, I don't know if you can give us like any insider mm -hmm. scoop into that that whole process. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I'm not part of of the business development team. Um, if you look on our team page, um, two of our two of our, um, you know, two of our co-founders are Jeff Garzik, who is one of the original Bitcoin developers who worked directly with Satoshi. The other one is Matthew Rozak, who's one of the first um, Bitcoin angel investors. So. Uh, between those two guys, we are are pretty um, hooked up to, I guess, the suits, you could say. Uh, I, I, got, I know that has a bit of a negative connotation, but between between those two and between some of the other 
um, talents on our team. We have a lot of a lot of access, a lot of exposure to um, those types of partners. In terms of what exactly it was that they were looking for, what questions they had, what their concerns were, uh, those are conversations. Unfortunately, I was not privy to. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, yeah, I'd just be curious from like an educational educational standpoint especially as we uh, have a lot of people interested and like we definitely hear a lot of discussion around you know businesses and corporations wanting to get into this space um Mm -hmm. yeah it's always interesting to learn like what what are those barriers you know to get them to get them yeah I, i i definitely think that just generally speaking the the biggest barrier is um just the the regulation and the legality surrounding it of course like the the big institutions and the funds and all that stuff um they have a different set of rules they have to abide by and crypto continues to be this kind of uh, gray area for them and i think i think generally that's that's the biggest barrier to adoption yeah 100 percent. that's what that's what we've heard from other projects in the past um I'm curious, like, kind of diving into like the future of Vesper. Do you guys have any really exciting developments that you're going to be launching uh, in the rest of 2021? <laughs> so many. Um, we have the. So what's great about the Vesper um, architecture, the engineering, is that we designed Vesper in a way where it's basically like a Lego kit, which I know is an overused term, but. Every time we make a new strategy, every time we make a new pool, every time we um, we route through a new platform, those are all modular contracts, which means we can, if we make a strategy for Link, we can use it on Bitcoin. Um, if we make a strategy that turns Link into Bitcoin, we can route it through Bitcoin. We can use those strategies. What that means is that um, essentially these first few months as we've been building out all the individual tools, we've been building out all the individual Lego bricks, and now we're getting to a position where we can start to snap all those bricks together. And, and it makes it a lot easier to make new pools. For example, um, we have a, 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 like a back-end die pool. And we just launched the aggressive version of that. And what we can do with a die pool is any asset that you can take out a loan with on Maker, we can make a pool for that asset. All that pool does is take out a loan and then deposit that die loan into the die pool. Um, so a bunch more pools to come. Um, of course, there's Vesper Earn, which is that new primitive where you, you deposit one thing, you earn another. Um, we are, I, it's already announced, so I think I can say it. We're um, launching on Polygon very soon. Um, we Ideally, we're going to be a, a chain agnostic yield aggregator where you can, you can deposit and, you know, farm yield wherever the the big barrier to that is we can only really make those deployments in places where you can earn yield right now polygons the biggest um the biggest place you can do that but yeah a lot more pools um vesper earn and more primitives there's a lot of great ideas and conversations brewing in the community and because it's designed the way it is it's um more so than other projects it's very easy for us to um kind of take all the stuff we've built together and repackage it into something new and something exciting. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a smart move. You guys have already worked so hard to build out um, mm-hmm. the pools and the technology. Like why not implement those yeah. across, across 
And we, we already got the audits, which was, I think, the biggest headache. It's very hard to get audits these days. <laughs> Why is that? Just because there is, um, there's very few good auditors. There's very few good auditing firms. And there are a lot of projects that have fundraised a lot of money and are willing to pay a lot for those audits. And so given our connections, given our existing relationships, we do have like ongoing relations with some of the best auditors in the space. But even then, um, for a period, it was like, well, we're, we're backlogged two months before we can even look at this thing. And that's something that everyone in the space was um, going through. And, and pretty much your, your options are you don't get an audit. You get an audit from a, a questionable, questionably reputable firm uh, or you wait. And given Vesper's kind of ethos in being professional, being sustainable, being secure, uh, no audit is unacceptable and um, a lesser audit is also unacceptable for us. Zane, you actually, you touched on being uh, chain agnostic. I, I feel like this is like a really uh, interesting point in the sense of like gaining uh, market share or like gaining new customers. Like mm -hmm. how important do you guys internally view it to be um, agile and nimble to be able to like be ready to deploy on all these other chains where there's maybe not as much competition as there is like in the mm -hmm. ecosystem. Yeah. So, um, th there's, there's two elements. One is, um, we're working through the deployments to polygon and, and again, the, the modularity of this all, and also the multi-chain nature of some of the protocols we route through like Ave and curve, at least on polygon means that once we get everything hooked up to Polygon, um, we can pretty easily plug and play on another chain or another another EVM compatible chain. The um, our hesitance against that is um, Vesper pools route a lot of funds, um, and a lot of these side chains do not yet have um, meaningful yield sources that can take on a lot of TVL, and so our the speed at which we port to different chains is largely going to be dependent on how mature those chains get in terms of their local um, DeFi ecosystems. Gotcha. So is it kind of like a, a chicken and the egg type problem? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, if Vesper was on a, um, oh, I don't know, if Vesper was on an XDAI, XDAI DeFi TVL might increase and then there might be um, more interesting in getting that. But if that interest isn't already there, Vesper will have a hard time going there because we can't really launch somewhere with zero APY. Yeah, and, and Zane, kind of zooming out maybe even further, um, I'm curious, like, where, where do you see Vesperfy going in, like, the next five years? Like, where do you, where do you see the company moving to? Mm -hmm. So my, um, I'll, I'll, I'll zoom out even further. My, uh, my thesis on DeFi is that um, if you abstract out what, what the financial industry is, it, it's a series of different highly formulaic interactions where party A posts capital, party B pays to use that capital, and then the middleman matchmaker in the middle keeps all the profit for themselves. All DeFi does is replace that middleman and makes it so that the lender and the borrower are able to work directly with each other, um, which means they get 
a better rate when you're borrowing and uh, more profit when you're lending. And so with that, I think DeFi is going to have a radical shift on the financial world as we know it today. I think Vesper is going to be in five years as that as that a transformation happens. Um, the idea is that Vesper can be that kind of um, underlying router where people who maybe um, aren't as tech savvy as we are, people who maybe don't have as much experience um, with crypto or not as much comfort, uh, they can just use Vesper. And perhaps five years from now, Vesper is integrated into um, like a, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to name any names, but like a custodial TradFi service that has a similar DeFi growth account and you put your dollars into it, those dollars route through Vesper and you never know. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting outlook. And that's kind of like how I've wondered how this whole thing is going to play out in the sense of, um, you know, current banks or credit unions, they already have their, their quote, like networks, right? Their customer base. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, is it kind of like they're just going to absorb into these protocols and then just be the, the user interface on the front end? But on the back end, you know, basically the bank's products are replaced with these protocols. Or will it be the sense of they may develop their own? Um... My my personal opinion is that um, TradFi institutions are going to have to adapt. And the ones that refuse to adapt are going to get left in the dust. Um, what that looks like, um, I'm not so optimistic to think that DeFi will replace banks. I think... I think banks are smart enough. They have enough resources to understand when they need to play catch up. And I think they will. And I think they will um, work with the resources available. I think kind of the developments, Vesper developments with our, with our block force capital partnership, as well as um, broader developments with Ave and compound, both offering institutional products. I think it'll look more like that where they'll have certain DeFi product offerings where, um, it might look the exact same for the end user, but under the hood, they're using these different uh, DeFi protocols and they don't get to take the whole pie for themselves anymore. They get to take their 10, 20%. Um, Zane, if you're cool with it, I did want to open it up to the audience and see if we, if anyone else has questions, we can bring them on one at a time. You're, if you're, yeah, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, if you guys have if anyone in the audience has questions, just requests. I'll totally let you guys up one at a time. Um, we'll see if we get anyone. Uh, if you're also uh, don't want to speak, you'd always send myself, Super, or Chase a, a DM. We can ask it for you. Hundred percent. So Zane, safe moon to the moon. Sorry, safe moon to the moon. Uh, I'm I'm not, I'm I'm curious how long it'll be until it all kind of actually I don't have a good understanding of how much of it is now locked liquidity because you know they have that like that um like the hate liquefy mechanic underneath it so I can't say whether or not it, it'll go to zero because I'd have to look at those metrics but <laughs> I I I am I am surprised that it has gotten as big as it did and it's continuing to be a thing yeah me too honestly. So, uh, just while we're waiting for people to get on, 
you said you were on TikTok lives. What kind of coins are they showing? You said they were worse than Safemoon. Oh my, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, what are they like on TikTok? They love Hex. Oh, the pawn. Um, <laughs> they love Hex, which I, I actually, I, I get into arguments with Hex people on Twitter uh, pretty frequently. Um, I, which means I've like actually done more research into Hex and crunched the numbers. And I was like doing some very favorable models based on like, like the global volume of Hex since inception versus the market cap. And it's like over 99% of Hex holders have realized no gains or like over 99% of Hex gains are paper and there's no liquidity. So like one day there's going to be a bankrupt and it's all going to go to zero, but uh, yeah, it, I, I, Hex is similarly surprised me that it's gotten as big as it did. Um, what else do they like? They really like, um, they really like ripple. They really like, um, they really like helium, which is like a, um, um, it's supposed to be like an IOT network where you, you buy a helium miner and then the miner acts as a node on the network and it earns helium tokens. It kind of reminds me of Skycoin back in the day. Um, I'm not too confident on that one either. They're really into Hashgraph, which is like a, um, like an enterprise, like a blockchain for enterprises. Um, what else? Like all, all stuff that I really just do not care for. And then, you know, they've, they've also got like different tiers of TikTok shit coins. It's why do you think, um, like what narrative is it that makes some of these projects just so compelling to uh, people maybe not as like tapped in to mm-hmm. some of the information? Because I feel like it's just like, I feel like there's, you could categorize there or I feel like there's a theme if you were to look at it. I'm just curious if you... Yeah. Uh... I, I would say that, you know, the, the type of platform TikTok is, is it, it's bite-sized content without really a way to dig deeper. And I think the common denominator between all of those is they all have really strong, really easy for normies to understand sales pitches. Hex is like, Hex is market, and it's not this, Hex is an actual Ponzi, but it's marketed as um, the, what is it called? Time lock interest deposits, which is like, whatever, one of the most um, popular financial products in the world. It's banking on the blockchain or whatever. Ripple is the banker's coin. That's very easy to understand. Um, Hashgraph is blockchain for enterprises. Um, Helium is labeled the people's network. Um, And I I think, I think it's just stuff that's really easy to hear like 20 seconds of it and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll buy in. Gotcha. Yeah. I um, like hex. I've seen, I've seen hex so many times. Um, I've always just wondered, you know, like why, what is so compelling about the narrative with X on, on why people are so bought into it. So it's really interesting that you actually uh, broke down the math and how it's everyone's yeah. basically just sitting on paper games and waiting for the, yeah. the card house to. And what's crazy is uh, like, so you, you lock your hex, get more hex essentially. And there's two crazy statistics. One, only about 10% of all hex is locked. And there's like, over a thousand individual addresses that have more hex than there is open market liquidity. Like it's all traded on Uniswap, but Uniswap has very little liquidity. So there's like, like over a thousand addresses that um, 
could dump their whole stack and it would take it like minus 80% right when they do it. Uh, like if just one out of the thousand, like if, if you go on Etherscan, Etherscan only shows you the top 1000 holders. You can't even find the Uniswap markets because it doesn't, it's not in the top 1000. Um, the other thing is I will say like, like uh, Richard Hart is like the perfect cult personality. He's like this big macho man. He has like, he has this whole setup where he brings people onto his live stream and is just super macho and, and like Trump like debates them and, and like tears them apart. And, um, he's just so, so cocky about how this is the best coin in the world, where if you don't really know any better, I can see how a lot of people can be like, wow, this is the guy I want to bet on. He's all, he's also like the original spam caller. So they do like, they do like, like recently they sent out a bunch of hex flyers to like people that got their ledger, uh, their information hacked in the, in, or stolen in the ledger hack. And so, like, I, I think he also knows how to reach a lot of people, and a lot of people who don't know any better. Well, that's a uh, so is is Uniswap the only place that currently has liquidity for Hex? Um, so U- Uniswap V two and V three has like ninety eight percent of the liquidity. There's like a couple of like really low tier centralized exchanges that you can trade Hex on. They don't have any liquidity, and then there is um. There's a quick swap pair on Polygon that has like maybe two hundred thousand dollars worth of liquidity. Wow, what what a what a scary time to not be tapped I know. in and be led astray by a, essentially yeah. a snake oil salesman. I know it's crazy. I will say though that the, the hex people are so cocky that like when it does go to zero, I I'm not gonna feel bad. I'm gonna have a good time making a TikTok and tagging like like being super petty and tagging everyone who like told me to have fun staying poor when I said I didn't like Hex. <laughs> I love how everyone in every community just tells people in other communities have fun staying poor. <laughs> like doesn't matter what you hold or what community you're from. Like, somebody's going to tell you to have fun staying poor. I know. It's such like, like we say it as jokes, but it's so interesting to me to see like, like there's thousands of cryptos and a different crypto 10 X is every day. And it's crazy to me that there's like a considerable number of people who have like their one token, they're part of the tribe, and they think if you don't hold that token, there's no way you're gonna make it in crypto. Like it, the the level of tunnel vision is pretty impressive to me. The only coin I hold is Doge. Will I make it? You could have made it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just buy it today. At Doge. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm actually curious, kind of like switching gears, just like outside of DeFi. Um, you seem like you're like pretty tapped in into this market. Is there anything, mm-hmm. uh, like any other use cases that kind of like uh, pique your interest? You know, like you're seeing uh, gaming on the rise right now, like blockchain. Uh, you're seeing like the NFT craze. Just be mm-hmm. curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I am super into NFTs. I was. Uh, I was in Rare Pepe in Pepe Cash at the very beginning. So I've, I've been hooked into NFTs pretty much since the get go. Um, I think you know the. I think when you look at NFTs, what they are today at face value, I understand why some people aren't excited by them. But the underlying technology of you have this digital asset with liquid um verifiable public ownership you can use that for a lot of different things 
Um, there's, for example, um, nearby me, there is this um, NFT gallery that just popped up in the past couple months. And they have, if you go to the gallery, you can mint their NFT. I think there's like a thousand of them total. And if you mint that NFT, you become what they're calling a local VIP. And they have like different events um, and like different like local businesses that they've like um, partnered with. And if you hold the NFT, you get all these different local perks. And I think in the future, as we become increasingly um, like digitized and interconnected, you'll see more of those types of experiences made possible by NFTs. Um, I also really like the idea of a DAO. Um, I wrote a research paper on DAOs several years ago, and I've been pretty mystified with them ever since. Um, the idea being that if you... If you compare a decentralized autonomous organization with a standard corporation, essentially what you're doing is you're automating away, when done right, the most expensive, the most inefficient, the most error-prone component of the corporation, which is the CEO executive manager. And my, my kind of thesis on DAOs is if when projects do a DAO right, they unlock a superior way to do business that you cannot do without a DAO. Um, and so outside of Vesper, I, I started a project called Governor DAO, which is essentially um, helping other projects become DAOs or helping other projects adopt decentralized governance. Um, yeah, DeFi, DAO, NFT are the big three for me. I've also really been into blockchain gaming um, since the start. I wrote a, I wrote a multi-part um research primer for the block several years ago um gaming kind of being an extension of of my thesis on nfts i also think with blockchains you can make new types of games you can have new genres of games you can have larger scale games um that that's a very technical conversation that we probably don't have time to get into but i i am also bullish on using blockchain to make new types of gaming experiences Yeah, I, I'm I'm extremely bullish on the future. Um, I think the commonality across everything is just going to be power to the community, essentially. Um, mm. So it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very uh, unique point in time in human history that I don't think has really ever been seen before. Definitely the 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 other the other thing with with community ownership or or community empowerment is. Uh, two elements. One, you have a, a, a superior way to align incentives. So people who are interested in a project, they can get financial exposure. Um, when they participate in the community, they, they boost their own investment. They do good work in the community. The project's worth more. And number two, when you do it right, it is um, infinitely more scalable than a, a standard business. It's as easy as going on to Uniswap and buying a token. Um, now you have on-chain ownership and you can actually do something with that ownership. That is something that has never existed before. Yeah. It's kind of, it's like switching from this model of value extraction to like value capture. Uh, Definitely. So, yeah. Value multiplication, I would say. Um, Zane, are you, I'm curious, are you, do you think that you'll eventually be able to use your NFTs and stake them or, or use them within the DeFi ecosystem? So there's, um, 
there's a couple of projects that allow you to collateralize your NFTs for loans. Um, I think we'll see more more of those types of primitives, at least on the NFT collections where they do have more stable markets. And at the very least, you can kind of map out a floor um, like you can do that with punks. You can do that with some art blocks. I do think that in the future, we will see a lot more of new projects use existing NFTs as a way to capture that audience. So like, let's say the example I like to give is um, I kind of think of punks as like a, like a universal VIP status. And I can imagine a future where there is an exclusive like social club or like maybe like a physical club in Miami with Bitcoin um, 2022 being like, okay, if you hold a punk, you get free access or something like that. Or you make a new game, and if you have a hash mask, you can use that as your avatar. I think we'll see a lot more of that just because that is a great way to very effectively introduce yourself to exactly the community you're trying to get in front of. There's, I, I don't think there's a better way, um, at least in crypto or at least in NFTs, to if you want to put yourself in front of like an exclusive high net worth VIP group, I don't think there's a better way to do it um than catering to punk holders yeah yeah i think you're spot on and i'm, I'm kind of seeing the same thing with apes as well uh the yacht the yacht club i think that they're they're forming some interesting uh elements to their community that are in person yeah i i went to the ape meetup yesterday i'm not oh. a, i'm not an aper but i'm uh it was they held the meetup at that nft gallery i was talking about oh that's sick uh, and yeah, it, we're definitely getting to a position where, like, um, we, we have more augmented experiences where there's there's the physical and the digital component. I think we'll I think NFTs are a great place where we'll see more of that. Yeah, it's it's all there's also like an interesting. Um, I was talking to Mewtwo about this the other night. In a way, though, you can kind of create artificial floors. Uh, with certain collections of NFTs, right? Like if you had um, two separate wallets and you basically place an artificial higher bid on a certain punk you have, it's kind of like, it kind of allows you to set the price. Uh, obviously it'd be a gamble, right? To see if somebody eventually down the line would pay it. But, um, you know, it kind of gives you that point where you'd be like, hey, like, look, I, I paid five ETH for this, but really um, it could have been five ETH from another wallet that you had. Mm -hmm. I think that does happen a lot. Um, the nice thing about NFTs versus other types of fine art or high value assets is if they're not super sneaky about it, you can kind of tell when there's foul play going on if you track the blockchain. But I think that definitely ha does happen, especially with something like punks where like, you know, you could, you could buy a punk, for example, maybe not floor punk, but maybe like a mid tier rarity punk, let's say for 50 ETH. And then you could go and post it right away for 90 ETH and from another wallet, put up a bid at 60 ETH. And then someone might bid 61 ETH and then you, you know, you made your profit. I'm, I'm sure that does happen. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like that is happening just with, if you look at the explosion of the NFT market right now, um, you know, like typically whenever you see like these massive like explosions happen, it's somebody is uh, on the back end pulling some strings. I feel like to kind of capitalize mm -hmm. on that. On the I mean, there's definitely there's all kinds of dirty stuff that goes on all around crypto. That, that I mean, that's for sure. 
unfortunately, I guess that's kind of a byproduct of it. But I, I think things will get, I think things have gotten and will continue to be um, more legitimate as the space continues to mature. 100%. Uh, Zane, really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the base space. Um, it's been hella based. <laughs> We're learning about Vesper. <laughs> um and yeah man this is this has been awesome we, we do record these spaces are you cool with us posting this on our youtube yeah go for it thanks brother i appreciate oh, you taking the time oh yeah definitely thanks for having me of course zane what's the whole jeff the dunker is that a me uh yeah <laughs> before i get off uh so i so Jeff the Dunker is the alternative version of Jeff the Baker. Um, when I got my Xbox 360 when I was 12 playing Halo 3, I thought it would be cool if, if it was like you got killed by like Bob the Builder, like something like that. And I, I came up with Jeff the Baker and have used it ever since. Once upon a time, I was Doc, so I, I just went by Jeff online. Now, <laughs> given you know, given kind of the work I do, I my name's out there, but I, I still like uh, Jeff the Baker. If Jeff the Baker's taken, I use Jeff the Dunker. <laughs> it's funny because uh, the CEO's name is Jeff, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know if there was a yeah. So that was that was um, there was a period of time when I had first when I was first onboarded, and he didn't know me as Jeff the Baker. Where it was like, is this going to be like a point of controversy? Am I going to have to retire Jeff the Baker as to not have confusion? But he didn't care. Jeff's Jeff's a a, a very a very cool very. Um, he's not like the asshole CEO archetype. He's very much continues to be in crypto because he loves it more than anything. And he's, he's very much like just in favor of everything. Hell yeah. Yeah. I was talking about it with me too. I thought, I thought it was a joke in between the, uh, the discord or just the y'all's community. <laughs> he's like, is this really Zane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on. And, uh, and speak with us. Uh, we'll definitely have to stay in touch uh, and uh, have you on once again, once you guys like release like a major update, you guys can keep up in the community and so forth. Yeah, definitely. Maybe I'll uh, be able to get one of the uh, more exciting people on, on next time. I know Jeff loves doing these things. Other Jeff. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, guys, stay based. I'll see you guys next All time. Right. See ya. <laughs> Thanks, guys.